Thank you, ma'am. So my name is Ben, and I am a redneck straight from the middle of nowhere in Missouri. Uh, this week, just so you know, like this is what me and my wife did for fun. Um, we have a jacked up golf cart, no joke, with big tires and a pond right behind our house. And I got out the spotlight and the 22 with the scope, and I was trying to shoot the muskrats that were digging dams in my hole, or do, digging holes in my dams. That was backwards. And so, yeah, man, that was, that's what we did three nights, you know, this week. I came here. We just did that. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. And that's uh, what I do for fun. And, and I really enjoy it. And I'm not sure if I have like a, a zit on my neck, if that's bothering you, or if it was like I cut down a thorn tree this week, which was a, uh, like a locust tree uh, right by my pond. And it hit me in the head. And so I'm not sure if I got stuck with a thorn or if it's a zit. Uh, I'm 34. You would think I would stop getting zits when you're 34, right? So I don't know if that bothers you. Just look past it and listen to the Lord, right? And to the the scriptures uh, today. But I grew up in a small town in a rural context. I'm from the area that I planted a church in. Um, And also my grandfathers were both Baptist pastors. And so um, both sides of my parents' family were Baptist pastors. I grew up in church, but I was not a believer. Um, I grew up in small churches. And so I never attended a church that was more than 60 people. Um, I've heard some tremendous sermons and I've heard some of the worst sermons ever preached in my life. One of the reasons why I am reformed is because God kept saving people through that terrible, uh, you know, ripped apart uh, text that they preached the sermon had nothing to do with it. And um, but God kept saving people. And it's one of the reasons why I eventually moved to reform theology. Um, but my community uh, is a context and actually North Dakota kind of reminds me a lot of of being where I'm at, is an old mining community. And so we're just a mining town that most of the mines shut down probably 50 years ago, but there are still some mines open. Uh, Some of the people in our church work for um, powder companies that still go and blow up holes in the ground uh, where they're trying to to get stuff out of it. Our region is called the, the mineral area. My family, the best that I can tell, have all been miners or owned sawmills or worked at a sawmill. Um, outside of, you know, right at my parents, uh, their parents who became pastors. And so that's kind of like where I'm at, where I've been. I met my wife in high school. She was my high school sweetheart. We were the sort of that small town uh, a couple. And that, that's, that's it, man. I've, all I have ever known is small town life. And, and I love it. And I'm going to be there uh, for what I foresee is the rest of my life. Um, leading our church to plant more churches in the rural communities that are around us because I've seen the need for people like me and kids like mine to come to know Jesus Christ. And I know the need for churches to be planted. I grew up in these small churches and what I saw was a man-centered view of salvation. And that's, that's what I heard. Even though I'm sure both of my grandfathers preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the gist of what I got was do better, try harder. And you had to be a good guy. And if you were a really good guy and you did good things, then God loved you. And there was a problem with that. I was rebellious. Like I, I drove my parents crazy, I'm sure. I was a third child and that may have something to do with it, but I was the guy who in middle school was wanting to drink, was wanting to party. And you know, you're not supposed to do that when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, and I'm sure that my parents and their Baptist background were like, what is going on with Satan's child here? Um, and just trying to figure that out in a small town because everybody knows you're doing it, right? And running through that and just, man, I just, 
I thought because I couldn't measure up to their standards that I might as well just do whatever. I might as well, if I'm going to sin, I might as well sin big with this man-centered sort of view of, of salvation and theology. And then something happened in high school. I mean, I blew up big time. And at the end of my high school um, sort of, you know, scholastic career, I guess you should, could say, um, all of a sudden um, the gospel came alive in my heart. And the best way that I can describe it is that it went from like a wooden, joyless, religious activity to, man, it was alive and it was breathing. And all of a sudden I loved Jesus. Loved him like crazy, and I wanted to follow him, and I knew that I was going to blow it, and I, I kept blowing it, but like something just happened inside of me where it went from like wooden and joyless to, to moving and active, and I loved, I loved Jesus, and I wanted to get involved in, in the local church. Um, but most of the local churches that I was involved in were, were very small, about 60 people, but also very pastor-centered. And so it was kind of like the pastor did everything. Uh, my grandfathers, they did everything. They preached every single week. My, my grandfathers would preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and shoot a deer on the way to church, you know. That's the type of people that they were. And everything was kind of centered around the pastor. And what I realized in small towns is that people liked that. Like, they really liked that. They liked the personality at, to the point to where if Pastor so-and-so left this, small town, went, left this small church in the town and went right across the street to another small church in the same town, they would go with him. Because they, they didn't really want to be involved in the life of the church and build the church and make disciples as much as they wanted to be attached to the, the personality of the pastor. Now, what I see as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Noel left off this morning, and in chapter 1, verses 10 down to the end, what I see is in this early church and in the early in Corinthian congregation, um, the same sort of problem that I witnessed over and over again in small towns. People love to be attached to personalities. People love to attach themselves uh, to great preachers, to great movement leaders, to all of those things, the personality, and their focus can become man-centered and pastor-centered very quickly, and it can be the same for us. Now, as I talk to you guys today, um, this is going to be aimed at your heart a lot more than your head. I felt like God dropped some things in my heart uh, to share to you guys, and I'm just going to trust Him with that, but it's going to be aimed at your heart, and, and I want you to, to really think through these things and, and to really pray through your own heart because I had to do that as I was walking through this, and I, I promise you tomorrow, my, my friend Kempton Turner, he's from the East St. Louis area, he can preach the pain off the walls, and so he'll, he'll just do a great job tomorrow, um, but, but we want to think about our hearts, but I want you to, to read this, it'll be on the screen, I'm reading from the ESV, um, verse 10. Speaking about divisions in the church centered around people attaching, attaching themselves to different personalities. Here, here it reads, I appeal to you. By the way, what was it? You guys? You guys and, and y'all? We say Ewans. No joke. Ewans. Have you ever heard that? All right. So I appeal to Ewans, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is important. This is an appeal that Paul is making to the church. And it's not in his own. It's like, this is a big deal. Be in the name of Jesus, for the fame of Jesus, for the renown of Jesus, I appeal to you now, brothers, youans, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
For it has been reported to be my, by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Now, I don't know who Chloe is, you know, but it sure sounds like she's got a posse, right? And it's like Sopranos is what I got growing through my mind. Like Chloe's people know something is going on and you don't want to mess with Chloe's people. And so Chloe's people now have gone back to Paul and Paul's like, all right, I better listen because, you know, her people are coming and, and talking to me and Chloe's people says, you know, there's quarreling among the brothers. And he says, my brothers. Look at how personal that is. My brothers. Verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says something like this. I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas. Or, you know, I don't follow anybody. I just love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm more spiritual than all y'all. Um, so you got these divisions and people attaching to different personalities. And, and some guy's saying, I follow the church planner. You know, the original church planner. That guy. Paul, he's my boy. Not, not me, man. I like the youth pastor, Apollos. He's the eloquent speaker. That's what usually happens in small towns. People get attached to the youth pastor. Um, but I love the eloquent speaker and the guy that can, you know, uh, sounds just amazing as he talks. And man, he dresses great and all of those things. No, I, I follow Stephen. He's one of us. And that guy was actually with Jesus. Maybe some were Jews, you know. He, he's a Jew like us. He, he's one of us. And, and, and like, he, you know, he, he was actually with Jesus. No, I'm the more spiritual guy. I'm spiritual. I don't follow anybody. I don't like leaders. We don't need no leaders, right? I'm more spiritual than all of you. He says, I've heard this from Chloe's people. And then Paul answers, is Christ divided? Rhetorical question. No, right? Body's not. Was Paul crucified for you? Like, who's hanging on the tree? Is it the planter of the church? Who, Who did that? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Man, that, is, that just hits my heart so hard. Because I love to say I baptized somebody, you know? And I love that he has like a senior moment. I don't know what this is about right here, but I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know. (laughs) Makes me feel better about my ministry that he's like, I don't know. I don't even know. All right. For Christ did not send me (laughs) to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now we're not going to get into mode of baptism, anything like that. But I just love that, you know, he's like, here's the main thing. First Corinthians, you know, it goes through, um, keep the main thing, the main thing. What's of first importance? The, the gospel, the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I did not, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Would you guys pray with me? God, we invite you, Spirit, we invite you to, to now enlighten our hearts and to speak to us. And, and really, we invite you to change us. We invite you into the, to the spaces of, of our hearts that maybe we have explained away as normal. We've covered up as, you know, everybody's like that. And it's always going to be like that. We invite you right now to, to rip out of us some um, sin. To not be people who are like, I'm broken, we're all broken, let's celebrate our brokenness. But yeah, we are broken, but you know, we want to repent of our sin and give it to you.
and trust you and be filled with faith, celebrate all that you've done. God, we, I, I ask, Spirit, I ask that um, less of me, more of you, that people would see you, have an experience with you today, that you'd free some men in this room from idolatry, that you'd bless some men in this room and, and their churches. It's in Christ's name we pray. People said, a church becomes emptied of its power when it becomes a shrine to a man's personal ministry success or his teaching rather than centered in the, what the power is, what Paul says, the cross of Jesus Christ. He says he didn't preach with words of eloquent wisdom and, and all those things because he didn't want it to be emptied of its power. It was, it was actually, it's the cross it, itself that was the power for salvation. But pride has led the early Corinthians here to value outward appearance and eloquence over a genuine work of the Spirit. And so to where they're, they're, some people are upset if somebody comes to faith and from Paul or from Apollos or from whoever it is and, and they have some factions uh, that are raging among them beca- because of that. And, and he's just laying it out. A church, it's, it's emptied of its power when we attach ourselves to personalities rather than the cross of, of Jesus Christ. And now just some observations from my background and just some things that felt like God wanted to drop to my heart to, to speak to you all about is that there is a difference between a man-centered or a pastor-centered church or a man-powered church and a cross-powered church. And it's sneaky and it's easy for me to empty the, you know, uh, the church of power because I, I move on to different things and, and, and better things, I think, than the cross itself. And, and just some things that, that God dropped in my heart that I want to share with you. And I'm, I'm asking that just be honest with yourself as we walk through this. A man-powered church, um, characteristic of it, number one, is that they value personality over the genuine work of, of the Spirit. And it's easy for each of us to do this, even as pastors. It comes back up again in chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. For you are still of the flesh. There's jealousy and strife among you. Um, You're behaving in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not just being merely a human? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? They're just servants from whom you have believed, and, and the Lord has assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, right? God gave the growth. He says, Paulus is nobody but a servant of the Lord. That's where we start. If we want to plant churches and, and preach about Jesus, we start with, I'm a servant and that's it. And whatever God assigns me to do, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm a servant and God must bring and God must give the growth. Now, now I know that in Acts 29, there's a lot of guys that can preach and guys that can preach a lot better than me. And I, I, I think that sometimes I can even do this, but I can rely on, on, on that. I know how to talk to people and make them listen to me and make them laugh about my redneck jokes, right? And, and then really think that people respond and people come because of me. What, what is our task here? What is our task? Our task is we're serving wherever the Lord assigns us. Paul, Paul planted... Then Apollos came and he put some water on it. But neither of them gave the growth. God did. God gave the growth. Um, But man, we're quick to value personality over genuine work 
of the Spirit. You know, this can be sneaky for me, and I've seen this as I was just processing through this. Um, you know, for a long time, you know, I, if I was preaching something that was hard, the way I would kind of make up for it was I would drop a quote in from somebody else that agreed with me, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a quote in a minute, so I'm not saying you can never share quotes, all right? <laughs> so I want you to hear that, but that's what I would do. Like I would take a quote from Chandler or take a quote from Piper or take a quote from uh, Keller or take a quote from, I'm going to quote John Stott in just a little bit, you know, um, and all those things. And, and it was a, a way for me to kind of hide behind a personality and somebody else. Like I had to be honest with myself. Like this was literally happening in my heart and kind of attaching myself to them. I think, man, if God's using them, maybe he'll... Use me then, right? Sneaky. How I can value personality over the work of the Spirit. Now, in, in small towns, it's a little bit different. And I want to talk about small towns some because I know I'm a small town guy, right? Um, in small towns, the way that we can value personality can be the pastor, but it also can be the family that can sing. I don't know if you all have seen this. But usually the fa- there will be like one family in the church that can sing and the rest of them probably not. And, um, you know, unless you play like some old Alabama and they get going. But, but the one family that can sing, like they can do no wrong. And like they are the highlight of church outside of the pastor. And we, they value that sort of personality. Man, it can happen. It's sneaky. It's sneaky in my preaching. It's, it's sneaky in my life. I think it can be sneaky in a movement. And even in small town churches. Uh, it's easy to value personality over the work of the Spirit. Um, and man, that's wrong. It's wrong. Man, we need the Spirit. We, want, we don't want to empty the cross of its power. Um, a manpower church number two, just a, a thought for you all. If, if you want to think about kind of the diagnosis and then the, then the solution. The diagnosis, we tend to value personality over the Spirit. Diagnosis number two, we, we tend to misplace security. And think that our security is, is in our attachments, you know. Maybe it's in a denominational affiliation or even a movement or a ministry stream or, or somebody, a theological dead guy. You know, that's kind of us, right? Um, and man, we can misplace security uh, to the point where we're crushed. We're crushed when movement leaders blow it, when other pastors blow it, to where, you know, we're just crushed. And, and we want to walk away when... When things happen and in, in small towns, typically we can misplace security and tradition. And so that's the way it was. And we liked it. That's the way they've always done it. You know, and we can explain away things like we're, we're small because, you know, it's, you know, it's just what it is. And um, tradition, we can hold on to those things and misplace our security. But what about in my own life, man, or in your life? Uh, personally, my, my wife really, 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 she's not here so I can say this, enjoys Matt Chandler's preaching and she talks about it nonstop. It's like, <laughs> I'll preach a passage and she'll be like, hey, did you hear how Matt preached that passage one time? I'm like, yeah, thanks, honey. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it just revealed in me, like, my security too is in is how much people enjoy my preaching or don't enjoy my preaching. Hmm. Even my wife. Manpowered church misplaces their security. A manpowered church likes to grip tightly to control. You know, it's not always the preacher here. You know, there's different guys, right? Paul and Apollos and all of those guys. Sometimes it's the congregation here. 
It's not actually Paul and Apollos. and It's the congregation. They're, they're gripping tight to control. Um, they're the ones who are saying, I'm with the planner, I'm with the original guy, or I'm with the good speaker, I'm with the real spiritual guys. They're the ones who are doing it. And it's really sneaky for me to grip tight to control to where I figure out who those people are and I surround myself with fans instead of critics. I'm not saying you always need to be around critics, but man, if you're always just around the fans, what's up? It's sneaky. It's sneaky in my life. Um, I found that in small towns, for some reason, half the church always prefers the youth pastor no matter what. And so the, the pastor can grip tight to control. You can be the guy that, the only guy who ever preaches. And say, you know, I've even explained it away in, in my church as, as like, you know, these guys aren't ready yet. You know, I'm at a different level. You know, they, they need to, they're not ready to, to preach yet. And then I had to wrestle with, man, I heard some of the worst sermons ever preached. And guys still got saved. And so maybe I just need to trust the Lord. And these guys are walking and growing in their faith. But man, a manpower church, values personality, misplaces security, grips tight to control. And then factions happen. Factions come on like who baptized who, who preaches better, who's more spiritual, um, yada, yada, yada. And then what starts to happen is we begin to rob glory. A manpower church robs glory. How easily we can forget where the real power comes from. Robs glory. Um, it can be sneaky in my own life, and here's how it's been sneaky in my own life. Scoreboard status updates, you know? Like we had a great service today. Or we baptized 15 people uh, today. It's like this. And I want to celebrate. And I want to be happy. But man, I, I can really quickly rob glory. Really quickly rob glory. Um, and I can make the whole thing about me. I like to stand up and talk about what God has done, you know. And sometimes I wonder if I'm actually talking about what God has done or what I've done. Like this is my heart. This is like reality. This is, I deal with this. All the time. It's easy for me to read this passage and say, man, those guys are idiots. Until I look at, I do this stuff. And I've done this stuff. It was really hard for me. I planted with a guy named uh, Tim Gray. If some of y'all know him, love him. Tim Gray was a, a pastor that we planted together. I was 23 and he was like close to 50 or something like that when we planted and uh, I love that dude. He mentored me and, and pastored. And, and then we kind of planted new churches out of our church. And, and he left, you know, and I stayed. And he's preaching this week at our church and, and at another congregation that we, we have going right now. And, um, man, I know that this week there's going to be people who are like, they love Tim, you know. And wish Tim was here all the time. And I, I wish this wasn't the case. But there's going to be a part of me that goes, ugh, and feels inadequate. It's going to happen. And I know that's going to happen. And I love the dude. He's like my best friend, my biggest pain in the butt, and my best friend at the same time. But we can easily rob glory. Rob glory. And the fifth way of a manpower church is often we promote the packaging more than the package. And here's, here's what I mean. We can fall in love with the box and not what's inside. We can fall in love with the branding, with the doctrine, with a we got it right. We can fall in, in love with where the missional guys or where the cool guys are and really not what comes out of that. We can fall in love with being gospel centered, you know, which is a good thing to fall in love with. 
but do we love the people that we're preaching it to and what happens in them? Do we actually care for people and positive people that come? We can sneakily, we can lead with buzzwords rather than Jesus. Man, I've been there. I've done that. Um, Yeah. We can um, just rip things from other people because the packaging looks good. Like, I hope nobody models our church. Like, that's, like if you want to model our church, you want to fail over and over and over and over again, cool. Go ahead, you know. Um, but it feels like um, in small towns, that's kind of what people do. And so they've seen some other church do it well in Fargo. And so they kind of rip that, you know, and model that and try to do what they did. Um, maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've done that before. Oftentimes, we provoke the packaging more than the package itself. My daughters, um, right now, it's, it's, um, it's Christmas season for them already. And so in our car, they're already forcing me to listen to Christmas music. And they really love it that Noel is here. And they keep singing the first Noel, you know, as they're talking about it. I'm like, that's not his name. But yeah. Um, but it would be really awkward, right, for them to, like, if I give them a Christmas gift, to, to rip it open and, and what's inside the box... Then, then throw that away because they love the box and not the gift, right? Be really weird for them to love the packaging more than, you know, what's inside the package. Be really weird. But man, I've, I've fallen prey to that. I've fallen prey to where I love, you know, talking about being the gospel community mission guy or whatever it is and the packaging and, and forgot the people that are calling my phone, you know, and annoying me. I've fallen in love at different times just just bluntly with, um, you know, the church I wanted to have and not the church I actually have. Yeah, I've done that. I've fallen in love with the packaging more than the package. It's happened. So what's sort of the antidote I'm not saying you guys have done this. Maybe this is just my big confession to all of you. Um, But it is me, and it's happened in my heart and my life in the 10-plus years of planning our church. So what's sort of the antidote, the cross-powered church, instead of the man-powered church, or the personality-driven church, or the personality-attached church? What's the difference? Well, you value the work of the Spirit, right? God uses... um, uh, it's, uh, the humble. God's Spirit uses the humble, and God's Spirit empowers the message as you faithfully proclaim the cross, Jesus crucified week in and week out, the Holy Spirit empowers the message. Like, it's not you. It's not eloquent wisdom in words. Um, it's not our pontificating, you know, of quotes nonstop. It's, it's the work of the Spirit. If God doesn't move, nothing happens. If the Spirit doesn't give life to the message, I have no power. And I know that. That's a cross-powered church. And so that gets you on your dang knees to pray and to plead. Who cares about the packaging? To plead that Spirit move. Rip open a heart like you ripped open mine in high school. Do it, Lord. Flex your muscles, God. This pleading on behalf of people in your church. Spirit, move. Like, I have no power, but you do. In your infinite supply of power, you can move in my community. You are bigger than my personality. You are bigger than everything 
So you get on your knees and you lead your church. Spirit, move. Across Power Church centers um, the message of the gospel. And so you do the slow work. I mean, the slow work of just preaching. You know, we preach expositionally through, through Scripture. And, and I'm kind of more topical right now, but through this. Um, but man, it's slow work sometimes. And there's people who are like, what are you doing? You know, it'd be more entertaining if you did this and if you did that. But it's just do the slow work of preaching the gospel every single week. Putting the word in front of people, asking the spirit to move a cross-powered church places trust in the message, not the method. As you're centering the message, as you're valuing the work, it's not the packaging, it's the package itself. So you're placing it, your trust in, in the message. Uh, a cross-powered church values faithfulness over success. Mm, faithfulness over success. Faithfulness over numbers. Faithfulness over bigness. You know, grace, I I realize that it foils legalism, but it also fuels my righteousness. And faithfulness matters to God. So I begin to preach that and to move that to people. And across power church, number five, is set free then to be morons for Christ. Now, I use that word on purpose, and I know it might offend you just a little bit. But verse 18, Kempton's going to pick up tomorrow. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness, right? But to us who are being saved, it is the, what's the word? Power. It's the power. The cross is the power. It's foolishness to others, but it's, it's the power. The only power, right? It's the power of God. And so we're, we're set free uh, to be morons for Christ. And I mean, have you thought about our message? Have, I mean, you're like, I don't want to think of myself that way. I mean, but have you thought about the message like... Uh, um, it, it does sound a little crazy sometimes to people. It sounds crazy to your non-believing friends, you know, that um, Eve, uh, uh, she sinned and then God spoke and he punished Adam and, and Eve and he spoke the proto-evangelium. Like, like there's a, one day um, there's going to be a male son that comes from your line and he's going to crush the head of the snake that just, that just uh, tempted you and moved you and all of those things. Have you really thought about it? Have you thought about that God uh, came down among us and put on flesh and, and then he, he died like God died? I mean, that's kind of weird. And that he he died and he he rose to life again. I mean, it does kind of. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Have you ever seen anybody die and then rise? I mean, it, it does kind of sound like foolishness to somebody. Oh, and by the way, the only way that you can be saved is not through your good work and your good effort, but it's, it's trusting that happened. That's it. The cross that God went to a cross. Jesus went to a cross and he died for you like 2000 years ago. And the only way you're going to be saved is you believe that happened. And he died and rose again. Like it does sound kind of goofy. And one day he's going to return. He's going to show up. And the imagery is he's not on a colt this time, but he's on like a white war horse and like tatted on his leg. He's got king of kings and lords of lords and you know, all that stuff. The imagery. I mean, it sounds kind of weird. But we're set free. We're set free to preach that message. To preach that message in rural areas where there are seemingly unimportant people. And say, God, Spirit, move. We believe it's the power of God. Um, It's not my eloquent words. It's not my awesome band. It's not my great website. It's not the the best packaging and wording that I could have. It's, It's none of those things. It's the cross. I'm set free. Just to preach it and proclaim it in small towns. 
I'm set free to go to the city where people say, you know, the, the tensions right now, it's just too hard. It's too messed up. We're set free to go and to preach the gospel and to watch God move and work. We're set free to go to the suburbs where people complain, you know, the idols are too strong. They're just, they're just too strong there. They got, it's too easy. Their life is too easy to be morons for Christ and to preach the gospel and just watch God work through you and work through your church. But pride gets in our way. Pride gets in our way. John Stott, here's my quote, said this. Pride is without doubt the chief occupational hazard of the preacher. It's ruined many. It's deprived their ministry of power. And man, I've seen it ruined, friends. In some, it's blatantly obvious. They are actually exhibitionists by temperament, and they use the pulpit as a stage to show off. Other preachers, though, they're not like Nebuchadnezzar's. However, their pride does not take the form of blatant boastfulness. It's more subtle, it's more insidious, and even more perverse. For it is possible to adopt an outward demeanor of great meekness, while inside our appetite for applause is insatiable. That's where I was. At the very moment when the pulpit, in the pulpit we're extolling the glories of Christ, we can in reality be seeking our own glory. When we are exhorting the congregation to praise God and are even ostensibly leading them in praise, we can be secretly hoping they're going to spare a bit of praise for us. And I read this quote, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. Like, it floored me. Like, that's me. That was me. Sometimes it still is. We need to cry out with Bastard, oh, what a constant companion, what a tyrannical commander, what a sly, subtle, and insinuating enemy is the sin of pride. The sin of pride. Well, crap, there's divisions in this church, people attaching themselves to different men, and divisions uh, are happening there. There's factions that have come out of it. But pastor, where's your pride? Where's your pride? How many times have you boasted in or wallowed, one of the two, about numbers, both forms of pride? How many times have you gloried in appearances and assumptions? How many times have you checked out on the flock due to fear of conflict or laziness? How many times have you botched a text and then blamed it on a number of things? How many times have you daydreamed during a counseling session? Man, that was convicting. How many times have you neglected orphans and widows? How many times have you bristled at correction? How many times have you envied the pastor across the street or the pastor across the podcast? How many times have you measured your preaching against another's preaching? How many times have you checked on how many followers you have on social media? How many times have you chased the poisonous idol of success? How many times have you valued personality over a genuine work of the Spirit pastor? You know, it's a good thing Jesus is bigger than your church, right? And pastor, it's a good thing Jesus is bigger than your sin, Pastor, it's a good thing you're not the savior of your church. Paul says, who was I crucified? Pastor, it's a good thing you're not the savior of yourself. If you're honest with your heart. You're honest with yourself. You see, why I wanted to aim at your hearts in this. We, we see in this text is really the congregation that was attaching themselves to different people, right? 
And we can aim at them and kind of slap them around. But I think until you repent, until you lead in repentance, until you model repentance to your people and tell them, you know, I'm, I'm free to admit sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm an idiot, but I'm going to take it to the cross and let him work in me and out of me. Until you model that, I think the divisions will still come. You lead first. Be the first repenter. You be courageous in, in going and saying, you know what? The cross has already outed my sin, so I can be honest about it here with you. And I can be honest among my brothers here. You model that. You lead it. You lead in repentance. And then I think some of this division among the congregation, some of the attachment, the personality, it begins to go down. It begins to go down. You know, there's good news, though. Jesus is bigger than you, and he's bigger than your church. Some things that I just kind of put before myself uh, to help me remember this is I am actually a dummy, and God is good. I mean, I went to JUCO, right? And so I went to junior college to train for jobs that don't exist, and that's like the extent of my education, you know? I'm a dummy, but God is really, really, really good. Uh, And my life is hidden in Christ. Colossians 3 says that when God looks at me, that he sees Jesus. That like I am hidden in Jesus Christ. And man, that's good news for me. And that Jesus cares for his bride a lot more than I care for his bride. Like I care about it, but like he died for it. He bled out for it. He was crucified for it. He loves his church. And and he's really the hero of the story and I'll never be. And a blood-stained cross, not branding, that's the power for salvation. A bloodstained cross, not my ability or skill. That's the power for salvation. A bloodstained cross, not my reach of influence. That's the power of salvation. A bloodstained cross, not my personality, is the power for salvation. But a bloodstained cross, and not even my pastoral weakness, right, is the power. So there's hope. I mean, I blew it. I blew it. But man, it's, not, it's the cross. So there's hope for me and there's hope for you. A bloodstained cross and not my personal failure. That's the power. A church empties itself of power when we value personality over a genuine work of the Spirit. When we attach ourselves to things other than Jesus. And pastor, I'm here to say you can do it too. But you can lead your church in repentance. As I've been trying to lead my church in repentance. You can lead out the, yeah, my heart sometimes goes there. But the Lord is cleaning that up. You see, a a bloodstained cross, not... (sighs) A bloodstained cross is my fuel. That's my fuel. That's, That's the power to lay down my pride. To lay down my pride, lest I empty the cross of its power. Noel, when he finished up today, he, he asked people to stand, right? And it's like, Baptist, I felt like I was at home, Noel. You know, there's uh, every head bowed, every eyes closed, and, and to stand. And he, like if you thought through what your idols were, right? And then he prayed over you guys. As, as we end this session, I would like uh, to invite you again. I'd like to invite you again if you've been thinking about, you know, um, there are times that I haven't led my church in repentance, that I valued personality and the packaging over the message itself. I'm actually emptying the, um, the church of its power because of that. 
Uh, now, I know, I know it takes guts to admit it, right? Um, but I think confession is good for us. We can start here. You're among brothers. Like, you're not going to surprise me. And I don't think you're going to surprise anybody else here if you stand. Um, but if you would, I'm going to invite this to happen as we end this session. If you would stand, and then guys around you just, just love on you and pray, groups of two or three, so one, I'm going to give 30 seconds here. Stand if you want to stand and be prayed for. If nobody does, that's okay. It's not like God didn't speak in your heart or anything like that. But, but if you're here and you're like, yeah, man, that's me. Would you be courageous? And if nobody, that's all right. Some guys stay, move around, put your hands on him and pray. Would you guys do that? Let's pray for one another. Maybe God's going to free some men from idolatry today. Maybe God's going to bless some churches. Would you pray for him? All right, would the rest of you guys stand with me so we don't make him feel so awkward? Lord, we know that you are good and you are true and you are holy and you are righteous and you are perfect. And as... um, Steve reminded me before I walked up here to not suck. He said that the word of God would, would achieve its purpose, whatever it is. We trust that and we know that. Lord, I, I do pray that we would be men and women who increasingly, increasingly wave the you, you know, in front of us everybody and not personality or packaging or methods. I pray that we would be churches that are filled with power as we preach and proclaim the gospel and center it, everything on you. And we know that Jesus, you are bigger than our failures and Jesus, you're bigger than our church. Jesus, you're bigger than our podcast. (laughs) Jesus, you're bigger than everything. Father, I pray for my brother who courageously stood and said, yeah, I've struggled with this. Um, Yeah, he's not alone. Um, Man, me too. And there's others who I I know have struggled as well. And so, Father, I pray that right now that you would give him freedom. I believe that you could do that. I pray right now that you'd fill him with joy, that you'd fill him with hope and love and encouragement. That he, right now he wouldn't feel like beat down, like, oh my, I am an idiot. But now, no, he's loved by you, filled with your spirit, um, being used by you to be your servant. God, would you empower him? Would you strengthen him? Would you give him joy today? God, we thank you. Jesus, we love you. We forever praise you. It's in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you, guys.